thankful for the opportunity to, to focus on missions, and I think that's something that we try to focus on. I, I think that if, if you had to take the top three things that we talk about here often, that's got to easily be in the top three, is all responsibility to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's something that, that uh, as Brother Nate mentioned, mentioned about, about Iceland, I'm very passionate about making sure we get the message of the gospel out. That is the responsibility of Christians. If we're not getting the message of the gospel out, then why are we here? Right? I understand. I mean, it's great that we can gather the word of God. And there's lots of different topics and lots of different things that the Bible gives us that we need to focus on and things that we need to work on and things that we need to do better at, and, you know, prayer and faith and so many other things. But there's one thing that is so lacking in Christianity today, and that is evangelism. How many times has somebody come by your house and knocked on your door to try to give you the message of the gospel? Now, most of you are saved. You, you know the message of the gospel. So you're not looking for somebody to come. But think about the millions of people within an hour of this place that don't have the answer, that don't know Jesus Christ, who have never heard the message of the gospel. And nobody's ever tried to tell them. I believe that there's nothing nearer to the heart of God than, than the winning of souls. Souls brought Jesus Christ from heaven to earth. Souls caused God to give his only begotten son. Souls caused Jesus Christ to be driven to Calvary. Souls caused God to turn his back on his son as Jesus bore our sins, as the Bible says in Isaiah, in his own body on the tree. Souls are what Jesus Christ came to this earth for. And the command of God for the local church and the individual Christian is to take the gospel to every creature around the world. God loves souls and the winning of those souls to Jesus Christ. Now, we can't help the winning of them. I don't know where that term soul winning came from. We're not told to go win souls. We're told to go tell souls about Jesus Christ. Whether they accept Jesus Christ as their savior or not is their responsibility. Our responsibility is to tell them. And not just, well, I did it, my job's done, but to tell them over and over and over and over again until they realize that they need Jesus Christ as their Savior or they're going to spend an eternity in hell. It's no surprise then that a missions-minded church is a church that God blesses. God smiles on that place and on those people who faithfully do what God has commanded them to do. You don't have to look too hard to see that that is all throughout the New Testament. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and chapter 2, I believe that we can find a good outline for a church that is concerned with and actively involved in mission work. And I mean that as going around the world, that we're sending out missionaries, but I also mean that as we're doing our mission work here. This is our mission field. This is where God has called us to be a witness. You don't have to go around the world to be a missionary. You don't have to go raise support and travel on deputation to be a missionary. You're called to be a missionary right here, right now, in the place where God has you. You are a Christian who happens to be a fill-in-the-blank with whatever your occupation is. That's not your primary goal. Your primary goal is to be a Christian who spreads the message of the gospel. And we're going to get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 here in just a minute. But Paul said in verse number 8, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Paul said, also in every place, 
your faith is spread abroad. And that's what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes this morning. Also in every place. That's our responsibility. Let's pray and we'll look at this passage here for a few minutes this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the time that we can spend together around your word. I pray that it would be profitable. I pray that it would be helpful for us. And God, I pray that you give us a greater burden for souls around the world and souls right here in this area. And God, I pray that, it would, that, that you'd speak to our hearts this morning and we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I think we can see, and it's actually found right there in verse number eight of, of 1 Thessalonians chapter one, is the method of missions. He said, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Notice that this Thessalonian Christian church did not confine the gospel to the four walls of their church building. They had spread the saving message of Jesus Christ in every place. They had, they had heard the message of salvation, they accepted it, but they didn't just keep it to themselves. And honestly, that's what so many Christians do. They get saved and they say, wow, this is great. I know Jesus Christ is my savior. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven when I die. And then that's where it stops. And they may come to church. They may sit in church. They may get motivated about some different things. And they might have a desire maybe to, to read the Bible more or to pray more or to do different things. But the, the desire to go out and tell other people about Jesus Christ stops when they walk outside of these doors. They spread it everywhere they went. Their faith was so well known. Look at the end of that verse. That so, we, that, so that we need not to speak anything. Paul and Timothy didn't even have to tell people about it because they had spread the message everywhere in that area. What a tremendous testimony about the Thessalonians. But that, that's the method of missions. And that should be our method as well. God allowed you to hear the message of the gospel. And you accepted that message. Now, by the way, that's the first place to start. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's going to be hard for you to get excited about telling other people about this message of Jesus Christ, right? You, you, you find some good deal in, uh, in a store or something else, and wow, man, look at this. I saved 40% off of this whatever product I've been looking for. You get excited about it, you're going to go tell other people about it, right? But if you walk into the store and you say, man, these prices are really high. This is not something I'm sure. You're not going to go out and tell people, man, you need to shop there, right? But when you get it, and it means something to you, you're going to tell other people about it. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior to be excited about telling other people about Jesus. And I'm not saying that if you're not excited about it, you're not saved, but I'd question it. I'd question it. If you're not excited about telling people about Jesus Christ, did you really get it? Because if you really got it, salvation is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And if you really cared about the other people around you, you'd say, hey, I don't want you to starve to death. This is where you can find bread. This is where you can eat. And we have a responsibility to tell people about the bread of life. That's what Jesus Christ is, right? The living water. We have that responsibility. But once you get it and once the power of the gospel transforms your life, you have to tell somebody. So you start at home. You tell your, your family. You tell your, your, your close family, your, your immediate family. But you tell your neighbor, your relatives and, and, and those that hopefully you get a burden for that's closest to you. But you have to warn them. Right? If you're walking toward a, uh, toward a, toward a, giant, uh, uh, a giant ditch or a giant uh, chasm somewhere, and all of a sudden you realize that the bridge is out and, and you're about to walk over there, you got your whole family with you, you're going to say, hang on, hang on, don't go any farther, stop. Right? I remember when I was growing up and we would go to the zoo, and I, I was the oldest of 10 kids. Now, it, it wasn't always 10 of us because it took a while for the younger ones to, 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 you know, to come along, I guess. 
Um, but I remember, like, we'd go to the zoo, and one of my younger brothers would be leaning over the railing, looking at something down there, and I'm scared to death that they're going to fall into this pit. You know, there's probably no chance that they're going to fall in, but I'm scared to death. I'm like, hey, don't go any closer to the edge, right? That's what you're going to do with your family when you get saved, and you realize, man, look what I just about walked over. I just about walked over the precipice into hell. I've got to stop them. I've got to keep them from going there, right? And your burden should be for your family, but then that transfers to your friends. If they really are your friends, you're going to say, man, don't go over the edge of that thing, right? Then you're going to tell your neighbors and your coworkers, and you can't help but tell them because you care about them. And that's the method for missions. You go across the street, you go around town, you go throughout your state and the nation and then throughout the world. I've got to let people know that if they don't accept Jesus Christ, they're going to spend an eternity in hell. We make a huge mistake as Christians when we view the church as the four walls of the building. In fact, turn over to Matthew chapter 5. God didn't save us so that we could hide our light under a bushel. And you know the story well. Jesus here is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 14. He says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It, it makes sense, doesn't it? Why would you light a candle and then put it under a, a, under a barrel? It's not helping you do anything, right? Why would you light a candle and then, and then cover it so nobody can see the light from it? No, you light a candle and you put it in the middle of the room so that it can light up the whole room, right? A couple times this year, we lost power, and I've got a really bright DeWalt flashlight, and I set that, I just, it, it has a little swivel head on it. I stick that thing in the middle of the room and turn it up, and it lights up the whole room. But what's the point if I turn that flashlight on and stick it under the pillow? Is it doing any good? No, it's a light. It's still a light, but it's hidden. And that's, that's, what, that's exactly what a Christian who accepts Jesus Christ gets saved and then doesn't tell anybody else about Jesus Christ is exactly like. You're still a light. You're, just, you're hiding it. And what good is it doing? It might as well not even be on. You might as well not even be wasting the batteries, Right? You might as well not even be wasting the candle if it's just going to drip down and not give any light to anything. And I say it all the time, but that's why Jesus Christ kept us on this earth after we got saved. He's got a job for us to do, and that's to be a light to all of those in this world who are dying without Jesus Christ. The only plan that God has is to rely on Christians getting such a burden for the unsaved that they go out and tell them. We're his eyes. We're his hands. We're his feet. Now, God is, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I'm not saying that God is not here, but God's not here physically on this earth. He's not walking around telling people about Jesus Christ. He depends on us to do that. And if we don't do it, there is no plan B. There is no other plan. It is Christians take the message of the gospel and share it with the world. That's the plan. And if we fail in that plan, then the rest of the world does not hear about Jesus Christ. The story is told about a group who, who called themselves fishermen. There were a lot of fish in the water all around this group. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes that were filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. But week after week and month after month, year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish. They talked about the abundance of fish. They talked about, uh, 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 about how they might go about fishing. And year after year, they, they carefully defined what fishing was, what it meant. They defended fishing as an occupation. They, they declared that fishing is always to be a primary task of fishermen. 
And they just continually search for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. And they said that the fishing industry exists by fishing just like fire exists by burning. They loved slogans. They had all kinds of different slogans. And they, fishing is the task of every fisherman. They, they, they sponsored special meetings called Fisherman's Campaigns. They had the Month for Fishermen to Fish campaign. They sponsored these costly and, and nationwide congresses to discuss fishing and to promote fishing and to hear about all the different ways of fishing, such as new fishing equipment and fish calls and whether any new bait had been discovered. They built these large, beautiful buildings called Fishing Headquarters. And the plea was out there that every single person become a fisherman and join them in that fisherman's club. But there was one thing they didn't do. They didn't fish. In addition to all these meetings that they did all the time, they organized a board to send out other fishermen to other places where there were a lot of fish. And the board hired staff, and they appointed committee members, and they held meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing, to decide which new streams would be the best streams to fish in. But they never fished. Large, elaborate expensive training centers were built to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, the psycho psychological reactions of fish, how to approach and feed the fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers didn't fish. They only taught fishing. And year after year, after tedious training, a lot of people graduated. They were given fishing licenses. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters that were filled with fish. A lot of people who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned, and they were sent out to fish. But like the fishermen back home, they never fished. Like the fishermen back home, they engaged in all kinds of other occupations. They built power plants to pump water for fish, tractors to plow new waterways for the fish. They made all kinds of equipment to travel here and there and to look at fish hatcheries. Some also said that they wanted to be a part of the fishing party, but they felt called to furnish fishing equipment. Others felt that their job was to relate to the fish in a good way so that the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt that simply letting the fish know that they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were was enough. But after one meeting on the necessity of fishing, one young Fella left the meeting and went fishing. And the next day he came back and he said, hey, I went out there and did it and I caught two fish. And they were so excited about this young man catching those fish that they decided that they were going to honor this excellent catch. And they scheduled him to get up there and teach about how he caught those fish. And he did such a good job of teaching how he caught those fish that they employed him to go around and start telling everybody else how to catch fish. He was also placed on the fisherman's general board as a person having considerable experience. Now, it's true that a lot of the fishermen sacrificed. They put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near water, and they actually had the smell of dead fish on their person all the time because of where they lived in relation to those fish. They got ridiculed, some of them who made fun of their fishermen's club. Imagine how hurt some of them were when one day a person suggested that people who don't go out and fish are not fishermen. No matter how much they claim to be, you're not a fisherman if you don't fish. And I think that's exactly what happens with Christianity. 
Year after year, we talk about it. We expand on it. And we spend all kinds of money to get people to go out to where the fish are. But nobody fishes. And I'm telling you, can a Christian be called a soul winner if he never wins souls? Can, a, can, can you say that you love souls if you never go out and spread the message of the gospel? Can you call yourself a fisher of men if you never fish? Uh, the method of missions is to do what the Thessalonians did and sound out the word of the Lord in every place. But back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we see not only the method of missions, but the message of missions. In verse number 1 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children." But back in verse number four, we see, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. It does no good to go if we're not going with the right message. The message a, a lost and dying world needs to hear is not a message of reform. It's not a message of education. It's not a message of humanitarian aid. It's the message of the gospel. That's what they need to hear. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with humanitarian aid, but if we're not using that to help spread the message of the gospel, then the humanitarian aid is not doing anything for those people. It's putting a band-aid on a problem, but it's not curing the problem. Oh, and there's, I'm not against medical missions where they go over there and they, they, they set up these tents and they let all these people come in and they fix their problems. That's great. Show them the love of Christ, but tell them the love of Christ. Go build wells. Go, go dig wells in the areas where they need clean water. Go do it. It's a great way to show them the love of Christ. But share with them the love of Christ. Share with them what they need. Yes, they need water, but more than that, they need to know the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if all they get is water, they're going to be thirsty for eternity. They need the living water. They need Jesus Christ. If we're not telling the loss of their need for Jesus, then it doesn't matter how many other needs we meet. The greatest need of this world is the need for their sins to be forgiven and their burdens to be lifted at the foot of the cross. That's the message. Only one message can accomplish that task. Only one message can save a soul from hell, and that's the message of the gospel. A salesman was disappointed about losing a big sale. So he went in and sat down and talked to the manager, and he said, well, you know, I guess it, it just proves that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And the manager said, your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. And isn't that the job with evangelism? Our lives should be so filled with Christ that it creates a thirst for the gospel. Our message of the cross should be so filled with hope that they should come running to the cross. So many people in the world today don't even know what it is they're looking for. So many people are empty. So many people are hopeless and they don't even know why. They don't know what the answer is. I hear all the time people asking, What's the meaning of life? 
and it's kind of a joke in some ways, but, but there's a lot of people who are interested. What is the meaning of life? I'll tell you the meaning of life. It's to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the meaning of life. And once you find him, then you'll realize what the meaning of life is. Perhaps that's you sitting in here this morning. What you need and what they need to hear is that your sin has set you on the path toward destruction and hell. But Jesus died on the cross to pay for that sin. It's a simple message. He came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross, not because he, he was a political prisoner, not because he just decided that he was going to do something nice for everybody, but because he had to to pay for our sins. Jesus Christ had to die. But he didn't stay in the grave. He rose again. He died so that you could repent of your sin, so you could nail that sin to his cross and find that forgiveness that only he can offer. That's the message of the gospel, and that's the only message worth preaching. But back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we see number 3, the mandate of missions. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. You know what Paul said? Paul said in Romans chapter 9, for I can wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my kinsmen, my brethren, according to the flesh. He said, I would give up my soul. If I could do it, I would spend an eternity in hell if they would just get saved. That's a burden. And that's why the apostle Paul was so effective in spreading the message of the gospel. He was willing to give up his spot in heaven if he could just win souls for Jesus Christ. And I believe that's what he's saying here. I would not, we didn't want to just tell you about the gospel. We would have given you our own souls if we could do it. Verse number nine, for ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Paul labored extensively because he understood that his mission and his mandate on this earth was to be a watchman for those who were dying without Jesus Christ. His job was to warn others of that coming danger. He was not going to have the blood of somebody else on his hands. And that's what the Bible talks about a watchman in Ezekiel. He said, if a watchman sees that danger is coming and he decides that he's not going to warn the people and people die because he did not warn them, then their blood is on his hands. And that's exactly what it comes down to when it comes to us as Christians. We know what the end is for somebody who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Will we not warn them? Will we not share the message of the gospel with them? We have a responsibility, and those who we could have warned and should have warned that we didn't, when they die and go to hell, then our blood, their blood is going to be on our hands. What a mandate we've been given. What a command we've been given. What a commission. We have to carry forth the gospel message to those who have not heard, lest they die and spend an eternity in hell. There's a guy who does a podcast, and he's got a little YouTube show where he discusses doctrine and theology, but a lot of times what he'll do is he'll go out into the community, maybe at a county fair, and set up a microphone for people to come and ask him questions, and he just starts preaching the gospel. And I don't play videos often, you know that, but I was going to try to transcribe this whole thing and tell you the whole story, but I decided to, to have Brother Josh just play it for us here real quick. Watch the interaction that takes place between these two people at a fair. You think that it's the wrong way to do it? I grew up in the church, like no? since I was really little, and I think that what you're saying about one God 
and a loving God and going to heaven, I think that, that that's all probably true. But I bet that 99% of the people out here are getting so frustrated with you and so upset with you and so angry at God because of you. They're already angry at God. The Bible says they're haters of God. You're breaking my heart because I don't think that you're portraying the kind of God that people need and the kind of God that is real. What kind of God do people need? People need the kind of God who offers forgiveness and love. And I think that you're offering judgment. Is God going to judge people? Of course he is. Oh, whoa, 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 wait a but, second. But you're not. I'm not judging them. I'm asking it sure questions. It sure seems like, can I just say something without you interrupting me? Mm -hmm. I am just, listening to this, I'm just so in your tears and my heart is beating so fast because I think that you're doing the opposite of what you're wanting to do. Hmm. And that's so just when, breaking my heart because so I, I, think, I think that you and I probably believe the same thing, but what you need to do is go out into the world and live your message and people will come to Jesus. It's not about debating with them and proving them wrong and yeah. telling them that they're bad people. Do you think they are wrong? So you're breaking you my heart. Can I talk now? No. Can I talk now? No. Yeah. Do you think they're wrong if they don't believe in Jesus? I do. And do you think that if they die in their sins without Jesus Christ, where do you think they'll go? I think they'll go to hell. And you don't care enough to tell them now? Of course I do. Then why don't you? I do, but I do it through my life. I do it the way that Jesus did it, not the way that you did it. Jesus By didn't ever preach. Fingers. Huh? Jesus didn't ever preach. Of course he preached, but he, he didn't. Preach? He didn't debate. You're right, because they just sat and listened because he was a rabbi. Have you ever heard the Sermon on the Mount? Of course I have. Jesus said, you've heard it said of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say, if you look with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. He wasn't being friends. He wasn't living his life. He was proclaiming, you must repent. Jeremiah did it. Isaiah did it. John the Baptist did it. Jesus did it. Paul did it. Peter did it. Everybody throughout the course of history has done that because we're so concerned they're going to die tonight. Somebody from this fair might drive home tonight and die. And I don't want them to go to hell. I don't have time to be friends with everybody, but we do have time to preach to everybody. Do you preach to people and help them see their plight? I try to live just like Jesus did. I, it's it just not going to help them. But yes, it is. The Bible says, how will they know if nobody preaches to them? It's Romans 10. And how will somebody preach to them unless they don't get sent? My point is that you're wasting your time because 99% you know? of the and people... And it's irrelevant. Who, who is so angry with him? Okay. You know what? It doesn't matter. That's pragmatism. The question is, what are we commanded to go and do? And we are go called to go and preach the gospel and of repentance. And live it. Are you saying I don't live it? No, I'm not saying that you don't live I, it. Okay, I'm I just live saying... it, and I'm here proclaiming it because these people need to hear the good news of salvation. But they won't hear the good news until they understand the bad news. It's like a doctor who would go out into the street and befriend people because he actually knows that they have cancer, but never tells them and hopes to one day lure them into the hospital. We want to go out and say, you've got a disease, you've got an illness. A doctor who never tells the patient he's sick is not a good doctor. How, many, how, how long have you been doing this? It's really irrelevant, and I'll tell no, you what else not. is irrelevant. How many people have been saved by it? That's what I'm wondering. It's irrelevant. No, the it's question not. is, what is right? So you would, if somebody was in a burning building, you would just befriend them. You wouldn't call out to them, get out, the house is on fire. You wouldn't do that for them? No, that's not what you're doing. What you're doing is saying, you're in a house that's burning down. That's exactly. what you're doing. Exactly, they are. That's all you're doing. That doesn't do any good either. Have you not heard me preach the cross? Have you not heard me talk about Jesus Christ, the kind God dying I to save people for their I, maybe sin? Maybe I haven't been here long enough, but it doesn't seem like you've gotten that far because you're all about the judgment. You're right, because these the fellow that I was talking to is self-righteous and he thinks he's a good person. I'm trying to plead with him. You're not good. See yourself the way the law shows you that you are in your true state. 
the law was given to hold up to people as a mirror so that they could see themselves the way God sees them. How does God see the people who are lawbreakers? He loves them. He does, but he's also angry at them. You're right. And he demonstrated his... I don't think that. The Bible says that God's wrath abides upon humankind, that we are enemies of God in our mind through wicked works. We're, and his cup of wrath is filling up drip by drip. And on the day of judgment, he's going to pour it out and people will go to hell. Don't you want to warn them now? I'm just, I'm not a fire and brimstone kind of person. I'm not either. It sounds like it. Is there fire and brimstone? And you're not kind enough to tell them about it? You're not kind enough to warn them about it? See, now you're judging me. I'm asking you a question. <laughs> sort of like you were judging me a moment ago. Okay? It's just, it's just, it's just that it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to hear this. Because this doesn't make people want to accept the gospel. This isn't... This, I don't. I just don't think. Don't this think is this is I don't know why the video didn't play with just audio, but you see exactly what we're talking about, right? Well, I'm just gonna go out and live my life as a Christian, and they'll see that I'm a Christian, and they'll want what I have. No, they won't. The most part, they they're not gonna say, "Well, what do you have that I don't have?" There's no difference between her and everybody else, as far as they can tell. They don't know that she's living her life as a Christian, right? But he says it doesn't matter how many people accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. It matters that I go tell them. And the end does not justify the means. I have a mandate. I have been told, I've been commanded to go tell people about Jesus Christ. How much do I have to hate someone to not tell them that they're in a building that's burning? What a great point that he made about a doctor. What kind of good doctor is going to go out and say, man, I know that person's got cancer, but hopefully one day by just being a doctor and by being there, I'll lure them into the hospital. How are they going to know that they have a problem? What's going to make them walk into the hospital unless they realize because somebody says, man, that doesn't look right. You need to go get that checked out, right? What's going to make them want to go to the hospital if they're not told that they have a problem? And what kind of good doctor would say, well, yeah, you've got a problem, but it's not something that I want to talk about because you probably won't like the, what I got to tell you very much. No, if I got something wrong with me, tell me I can do something about it. If I don't know that I have anything wrong, then I'm just going to go on pretending like everything's fine, and one day I'm going to die from that. I can, I can only imagine what it's going to be like on the day when we watch the judgment of the unsaved. To hear God say over and over, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You knew them. Because we were shy or embarrassed or afraid of what they might think, we never told them how they could escape that punishment. And we're standing there watching as God says, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting punishment. How much do you have to hate somebody to not share the message of the gospel with them? Carol Fuller was a 72-year-old grandmother. She was living alone in West Hollywood in 1995. And during a home invasion robbery, she was locked in a closet. And her home was ransacked. Her car was stolen. All of that took place without anybody knowing about it. But the worst part is what happened afterwards. Days later, investigators found her dead in the closet with her fingers gnawed down because of her trying to scratch her way out of that closet. She left this world experiencing much the same horror that a lot of people are going to experience for the rest of eternity. Try as they might, they are never going to be able to escape the punishment of hell. We have a mandate, a heavenly command, a duty to act, a responsibility placed on our shoulders to warn those who are headed toward destruction. We come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses, but on the day that we stand before God, we're not going to have any excuse. John Wesley was robbed. He was, a, he was an old Methodist preacher. He was robbed as he was returning from a service one night. And as the, the bandit was leaving, John Wesley called out to him. He said, stop, stop. 
I've got something else that I need to give you. And that Robert, obviously, he was surprised, but he turned around, and, and, and John Wesley said, my friend, you may live to regret this sort of life, but if you ever do, here's something to remember. The blood of Jesus Christ washes away sin. And, of course, John Wesley prayed for that thief as he hurried away. Years later, John Wesley was preaching in a, in a large meeting as he, as he became very, very popular, obviously, and preached all over the world, but he was greeting people after a Sunday service when this stranger came up to him and surprised John Wesley to learn that this visitor, now a Christian and a successful businessman, was the one who had robbed him years before. He said, I owe it all to you. That's what the man told John Wesley. And John Wesley said, no, my friend. He said, not to me, but to the precious blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses you from all sin. Oh, what, a, what an easy excuse. I got robbed. I couldn't give him the gospel. Why would I? John Wesley gave the gospel to a robber who stole everything that he had, and that man got saved. Years later, I might add, he didn't stop and stand there on the corner and share the whole message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he planted that seed. We have the truth. We have the answer. We have what a lost and dying world is looking for. The answer is not better financial planning. The answer is not better love toward other people. The answer is not more kindness. No, nothing wrong with those things, but... The answer is not in the, in the Catholic Church. The answer is not in the Baptist Church. The answer is not in the Methodist Church. It's not found in religion. It's found in Jesus Christ. The answer is in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ plus or minus anything is not salvation. And so many people are depending on so many things besides Jesus Christ alone because they feel like, well, I've got to do something to earn it. It can't be just Jesus Christ. Why not? That's why he came. He came to die on the cross. Does he have the power to save you or does he not have the power to save you? Well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. And, and, and I agree with that. I'm not a very confrontational person. But don't, think, don't, don't you think that it's better to risk hurting somebody's feelings by telling them the truth than it is to watch them burn in hell forever? I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. I don't want them to be, uh, to be disappointed because they talk to me or I don't want them to, to be ashamed because they talk to me. But I have a responsibility to tell them what's coming. And I would much rather have them get upset at me or have their feelings hurt by me for a time and realize that they need Jesus Christ and a burn in hell forever. If you're in here this morning and you're not sure that your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven, I'm not trying to offend you. But you have to know that if you die without Jesus Christ, then a hell that burns with fire and brimstone, as he mentioned in that video just a minute ago, is going to be your home for all of eternity. Won't you accept Christ today if you don't know him? If you know someone who's not saved, and surely we all know many, won't you share the message of the gospel with somebody before it's eternally too late? I must close, but we saw the method. We saw the message. We saw the mandate. And now lastly, I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 19. I want to look quickly at the motivation of missions. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. See, one day we're going to stand before Jesus. And as believers, we'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Rewards are going to be given to those who are faithful and serve Jesus Christ. Paul understood that each soul that he won to Jesus Christ would be like a deposit into the eternal bank account. 
Heaven rejoices every time a soul is saved. And in heaven, the soul winner is going to receive a crown of rejoicing to give back to Jesus Christ. And that's the motivation. But the greater motivation to me is to see those that I love standing beside me in heaven. The motivation to me is to have those that I worked with or met or ran into standing next to me at the river of life. To have them join that choir and harmonize with my voice as we stand around the throne of God. Could you imagine what that's going to be like? That's my motivation to have so many people there because I told them about Jesus Christ and because they accepted and because of my witness for Jesus Christ that it will take the first thousand years of eternity to really get to know them all and to meet all the ones that they went out and won to Jesus Christ because I led them to Christ. Could you imagine what that's going to be like when we lead somebody to Christ and they lead another and they lead hundreds of others and we're going to meet all those people in heaven because of the people that we led to Jesus Christ unless you never tell them. Unless you have nobody who went out and told somebody, who went out and told somebody, who went out and told somebody. When a guy named Dr. Broadus was a boy in a little town, he was converted to Jesus Christ. And he had been attending some meetings, and he went to one of his playmates, a guy by the name of Sandy Jones, or a young fellow by the name of Sandy Jones. He wasn't a guy at that point, but he was red-haired. He was this awkward young fellow. And the next day he said to him, I, I wish you would be a Christian. Won't you accept Jesus Christ? And Sandy said, well, I don't know, perhaps I will. Well, a few nights later in that same meeting, Sandy Jones accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And immediately after he accepted Christ, he stalked across that auditorium and he went over to where Dr. Broadus was. And, of course, he wasn't Dr. Broadus at that time, but he said, I thank you, John. I thank you, John. Well, Dr. Broadus went out from that place. He grew up and he became a great scholar, a great writer, a great uh, theological president. And every summer, he went home to that little town where he had grown up. And he hardly ever missed a season, but every time he went home, this awkward little red-haired old farmer in his plain clothes would walk up to him and stick out his bony hand and say, Howdy, John. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. I never forget, John. When Dr. Broadus died, his family was all around him, and he said this. He said, I'd rather think the sound sweetest to my ears in heaven next to the welcome of him whom having not seen I have loved and tried to serve will be the welcome of Sandy Jones as he'll thrust out his great hand and say, Howdy, John. Thank you, John. I'll gladly take that crown for being a soul winner. I'll gladly lay it at Jesus Christ's feet. But I want you to be there with me. I want my family to be there with me. I want my friends and my neighbors to be there with me. I want to be able to shake the hands of many people who say, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. I'll never forget, Steve. Thank you for telling me the message of the gospel. And I hope and pray that you do too. What a responsibility we have to spread the message of the gospel. There is no plan B. We are the method for sharing the message. And that has to be our message, the plain, simple, wonderful truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have a mandate. We have been given a command. We're commanded to share the message of the gospel. And oh, how great it's going to be on that day when we stand and humbly accept our soul winner's crown. But when I can stand and shake the hands of many people who are there because I led them to Jesus Christ. Friends, neighbors, family members, people that I worked with in the police department, people that I worked with out in the community and ran into and became somewhat friends with. Those people in the community that I 
shared a tract with that I never saw again, but the seed was planted and somehow they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, so many others, when Jesus turns to them after he reads their names in the Lamb's Book of Life and says, Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. After witnessing to a band of people that had murdered some foreigners, David Livingston wrote this. He said, I had more than ordinary pleasure in telling these murderers of the precious blood which cleanseth from all sin. I bless God that he has conferred on one so worthless the distinguished privilege and honor of being the first messenger of mercy that ever trod these regions. He later wrote, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever any tie but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. Oh, that we here this morning would realize the all-important task of sharing the gospel in every place. What a tremendous privilege and what a tremendous responsibility. I hope you'll take it seriously. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for entrusting us with the gospel. What a great privilege that is. The fact that Christianity is only one generation away from extinction lays the burden heavily on our shoulders to make sure that we are spreading the message of the gospel. And I'm so thankful that from the time of the apostles, somebody has done that. It came all the way down 2,000 years later so that a young boy could accept Jesus Christ as his Savior when he heard the message of the gospel. I'm so thankful that the gospel was shared with me. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be the witness that you want us to be. I pray that if there is somebody in here this morning that still does not know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, that they'd get that settled today. But God, I pray that you give us a great burden for this area. I pray that you give us a great burden for those that we know and work with and those that we love. That we have such a tremendous burden that we can do nothing but share the message of the gospel with them. And God, I pray that every person in this room would have a whole pile of people standing around them in heaven one day. When God reads their name in that Lamb's book of life and says, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Oh, what a tremendous day that'll be. I pray that not one of us would stand there empty-handed. Pray that not one of us would stand there alone because we never shared the message of the gospel. I pray that you'd help this church to be a church that's not just a church within four walls, but that we live outside of this church, what the church's mission is, and that's to share and spread the message of the gospel with everybody we meet. Pray that you help us not to fail in the mandate that we've been given. And God, I pray that as I'm sure you've laid people on our hearts even through the service this morning, you've been motivated to go tell them about Jesus Christ. Pray that you'd work on the hearts of those that we have already given the message of the gospel to. Pray that you give us boldness to preach the message of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Well, thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. If you would, Santa.